Thank you, Rich and Seth. And I am really glad to be back with you. And um, I did what Pastor Jeff told us to do. I looked around at all the people who came forward to receive communion. And I tell you, I love this church. I love the people. I love you. Just you're so deeply in my heart. And I'm glad that I'm able to be here while I'm still young enough to stand here. Next week, who knows, after this birthday, it might just be falling apart. We'll just find out how that goes. Um, I also, he, he can't be here now because he has another assignment, but I'm so proud of my brother Jeff. He's my brother, my colleague, my fellow pastor, and my friend. And for the first time, we were served in communion by Dr. Jeff Leo. He has finished that work. He was working in, in the realm of theology, what we believe about God, and how that applies to issues of race and ethnicity. It, I went to his dissertation defense. I've been to many of them. It was one of the best I have ever heard, and I'm very objective, of course, about that. But, but if you see Jeff, be sure to congratulate him. Oh, Jeff is here. Oh, I wouldn't have said so many good things if I'd known <laughs> Jeff, you're still here. Be sure to congratulate. We're so thankful. I am so thankful for you, my, my brother. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Doesn't he just look smarter today? I think so. I couldn't help it, he said. I can resist anything but temptation. Do you know that quip? It's from a play by Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was always a little bit cynical about people who had these pretensions of being perfect but didn't live up to them. And it was a man like that named Lord Darlington who failed. And he said, well, I can, I can resist anything but, but temptation. When you hear that, and I, I thought about that as I thought about the message I want to bring to you today, I think we can all relate to it, right? I mean, temptation in this world is very strong. And it is a problem for every human being. And yes, that includes those of us who go to Lake Avenue Church. Right? I couldn't help it. We say, uh, we say it when we've eaten that entire bag of potato chips. Uh, the shoplifter says it to the police officer. The unfaithful husband says it to his betrayed wife. Uh, the disobedient child says it to his or her parents. The person addicted to porn says it when caught. Now, when I talk to you about this today, this, this human temptation, uh, failure to give in to temptation, it's not new, right? You know that. That didn't just start here in 21st century Southern California. You know that? It was also true in the Bible's days. It was even true of a person like the great Apostle Paul who confessed to being susceptible to temptation, which brings me to today's message. We're in a series from Romans 5 through 8 that, I, that I've entitled Made New. It is a hope-filled series in which God tells us that he's involved in this world and he's ready to be involved in your life and that mission that he's on in your life is to take everything that is not the way it's supposed to be and make it the way he means for it to be. To take everything, in fact, in the entire world that God made that is broken by sin and make it to be something that reflects his very glory. He's in that process. And today we're going to come to see that one of those things that he promises to make right in you and me is to take away our continued susceptibility to temptation. 
Anybody happy about it? I thought there might be, do it. You know, do it, Lord. Um, so I've got to tell you, it doesn't happen as quickly or as easily as you might hope for. In fact, there's a daily question that we so often ask when we follow Jesus, and this is, Lord, how do we do it? And I have the question here for you. How do we overcome temptation? And in this passage we're going to look at tonight, that, uh, that Seth, or today, that Seth and, and that Rich have read for us from Romans 7, 21 to 8, 14, the Apostle Paul kind of brings together what he's been talking about in a, for a couple of chapters. And he says, there are two ways that human beings try to overcome temptation because very few people just get up in the morning and say, I want to live a rotten life today. I just want to live an addictive life. I want to live a harmful life to everybody. No, most people want to live well. But how do we go at it? And, and the two ways that Paul has been talking about this is, number one, we sort of make our list of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, and we try, we try hard to do the do's and not to do the don'ts, right? And for the Apostle Paul, his people group, uh, the Jewish people, they had God's list of do's and don'ts. He called it the law. So when you read that, that's what he's talking about here. And it was really good. It's the way God himself made people to live. And sometimes they took great pride and said, we have God's law. So we're privileged people. And they were. But, but the thing we've got to know is simply having that law doesn't give us the power to do it. So he has to keep driving that home. <laughs> he has to keep driving that home. But I want to tell you today, it's not just people who've grown up in a religious background uh, who have our list of do's and don'ts. I mean, every human being I've ever talked to has that list, things of rights and wrongs. Um, even people who never go to church and don't believe in God at all, they'll still say there's some things that are wrong and usually it's what the other political party believes. I mean, that, I won't go in too deeply into that, but you know that that is true. But here's the problem with that way of living. Simply to have a list and say, I'm going to try to do what's good. I'm going to try not to do what is wrong. I'm going to try to do what's right and not what's wrong. We keep failing. We have a flaw in us as human beings. I've preached about that in previous weeks. So as hard as we go at this thing to overcome temptation, we keep failing. You know it, right? And so does God. So, do I have any hope to offer you today? You listen to me now? Absolutely yes. <laughs> Absolutely yes. There is another way to find victory over those things that are wrong. And I'll just tell you, when you place your faith in Jesus, God provides a gift to each one who is in Christ Jesus and promises that that gift will make a difference in your life. And that gift that he gives to you is the gift of his Holy Spirit. That's what I want to talk to you about today as we turn to this text today. I'm going to walk through it. It's a very personal part of God's Word. It's not easy to understand. Did you notice that as the Cassins were reading for? It's not easy. But I'll tell you, if I can explain it well, you're going to say, oh, that's real-to-life stuff. It really is. So I'm going to let the Apostle Paul just walk us through it. I'm going to, I'm going to start back where Pastor Jeff Madison started last week. I've called it the struggle revisited. The struggle revisited. Uh, Paul gives his own testimony about this, and then he summarizes it in verses 21 to 25, ending with this phrase, in my mind, I am a slave to God, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. 
Now, if you were here, I want you to remember back to Pastor Jeff's powerful message last week in which he pointed out the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, would give testimony to how much this struggle was still within him. I cannot do what I want to do, and I keep doing what I don't want to do. Do you remember that? He is so agonizingly transparent about this that throughout the centuries, people who've gone to church have thought, well, the Apostle Paul can't be talking about his life after becoming a Christian. He must be talking about the way his life was before he became a Christian because a strong Christian would never talk like that. What do you think? Well, I don't have time. You wouldn't stay here long enough for me to enumerate all the reasons why, he's, why I'm convinced that he's talking about his daily life as a follower of Jesus, but I'm convinced that he is. So let's just go through this. I thought, how can I do it briefly? So I put it into my own language. Let's walk through what he says. Verses 21 to 23. Even when we are believers, good and evil are still a part of our makeup. After you come to Christ, what I've found is you do have an ever-deepening delight in living God's way rather than your own. I find also that you have an ever-growing desire to live God's way rather than your own. But I have to tell you that even while that's happening, many of the old patterns and old ways are still deep within you and need to be broken. That's what he says. Verse 24. So this reality about us of good and evil residing inside us, it, it creates inner conflict. So many times you come to church and you just feel ripped apart. You come, and I don't think many of you would be in church if you didn't come wanting to live for Jesus. But same time, feeling like, like the temptations that you give into to do wrong things are the real Lord of your lives. And I'll tell you, if you can resonate with this, for the true believer, that inner conflict just leads you to long for deliverance. Like, like Paul, sometimes over the years, we begin to wonder, is deliverance ever even possible? I'm sure some of you may feel that when you come. Paul himself cried out, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Did you notice that? I'm just sure we've all felt like that at times. Verse 25, the first part. True believers also know that God has provided a rescuer, even Jesus Christ. So Paul confessed, thanks be to God. He delivers me and he does it through my Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, when you come to church, I want you always to affirm that. On one side, be honest enough to let the Lord know that these are the places where you've walked away from him. But one of the things I pray every time you come to Lake Avenue Church, every time I pray you'll do this, that somehow inside you'll simply say, Jesus is my savior. He, he is my rescuer. Verse 25b. So true believers honestly admit both. Number one, our commitment to live for God. Do you have that? Will you tell him that now? And two, our ongoing temptation towards sin. So Paul confessed, I myself in my mind, and I'll talk about that in a moment, 
I am a slave to God. I've made that commitment. You are the Lord of my life. But in the sinful flesh, my nature, I am a slave to sin. I'll tell you, I, this isn't the first time I've preached about Romans 7. And in the many, many years that I've taught about this, often on college campuses, uh, people have told me that they find Paul's words in this section to be hard to understand. But nobody finds his experience hard to understand. As I've, as I've spoken in my words, do you see what he's saying? Uh, Paul wrote about his own struggle, and I tell you, as you listen to it, I'm sure you know it's true of you as well. With those things in mind, it brings us back to that question that I had at the beginning. So where do we find victory over temptation? And that really brings us to this incredible gift that God gives to us when we give our lives to Jesus. I've called it the gift received, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There's so much here I would like to spend time with. I'm only going to focus on a couple of phrases. And the first one is right there, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Do you know that's Paul's word for being a Christian? I don't know why we don't use that phrase. I really like it better than the word Christian. In Christ Jesus, I'm in the realm of his presence. I'm in the realm of his protection. I'm in the realm of his love. And the thing I want you to see here too is this. When you are in Christ Jesus, he doesn't say poof. Immediately, as hard as the struggle is, poof, God is going to take away all temptations and give you immediate victory. Chapter 8 is not about that. But he does tell us something quite powerful. He tells us that he's convinced that there is eventual victory to all who are in Christ Jesus because we are given the Holy Spirit and we begin to be able to live a life the way he ends it in verse 14, a life that is actually led by the Spirit. It, it, it's beautiful things. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit promises to produce in your life is that he promises ultimately to give you victory over temptation. But again, I've, I've just got to tell you pastorally, it doesn't happen in a moment. It's God's work that is in process. In other words, I want to assure you today that it will happen, but at the same time that it will take time. Now, why am I and the Apostle Paul so sure that you will find victory over temptation? You're with me, right? Because God's Spirit who lives in you and is here with us is greater than your temptation and greater than your sin. I tell you, when I myself am struggling with these sorts of things, I hold on to that. And I want you to as well. To know how powerful the patterns of life are that you might be in, God is great enough to set you free. And to grasp that, I've got to show you another phrase. It's there in chapter 8, verse 3. If you can see it, I'll put it up here in case you don't have it in front of you. It says, God sent his own son, and here comes the phrase, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Do you notice that phrase, in the likeness of sinful flesh? He wasn't sinful flesh, only in the likeness of it. Jesus was, is fully human, just like you and I are, except without sin. His was not sinful flesh. And I don't know if you can get the implications of this. If Jesus' flesh had been sinful, he would not, he'd have to die for his own sin. He would not be able to die for our sin and be what Paul calls at the end of verse 3, a sin offering on our behalf. 
But, but Jesus was fully human, tempted like we are, but without sin. And because of that, he could be that sin offering. He could be in your place. And so the death that we deserve, because, you know, he alone lived that sinless life that we're supposed to, but not a one of us has. But then he was willing to die the death that we deserve. He didn't deserve it, but he was willing to do it in our place so that the penalty for our sin has been paid and we are set free through faith in Jesus. This is the gospel. But I have to tell you, you must be in Christ in order to be right with God. So I've got to ask you today, are you in Christ? Is Jesus your Savior? Don't leave church today without making sure of that. So when Jesus is your Savior, then you need to ask your pastor to do what the Apostle Paul did for this church in Romans, to come to you and tell you this, that Jesus died for your sins to forgive your past, but that's not all he did. He, he wanted to do a whole lot more in you than just forgive your past. What did he die to do? Uh, you might want to underline this great, great passage. It's chapter 8, verse 4. He died in order that you no longer have to live according to the flesh. He died so that you can begin to live according to the Spirit. He died to free us from our rotten old lives and to begin to make us what we should be and I hope long to be. When you receive Jesus, his spirit unites with your spirit and he begins to do what you could never do, change you from the inside out. Hallelujah. <laughs> Which brings me to this last part. How on earth does this take place? I've called it, what did I call it? The no, no, that's the first part. The, the response required. Sometimes we get this idea, oh, the Spirit comes into me, then I'll just sit in church and sit there and wait for him to sort of do what I'm supposed to do. And, and that's not the way it happens. Uh, we're still made in his image, and amazingly, he still gives us responsibilities. It's always hard for Christians to figure out how this faith and works work together, but it's always God's accomplishment, but he gives us a responsibility. And what is that? Look at verse 5. It takes us all the way to verse 14, but look at verse 5. It's the key. Those who then live, not according to the flesh, but according with spirit, have their minds set on what the spirit desires. This meant where we set our minds throughout the entirety of the rest of the New Testament, we find that that is the message that it gives to us, that God's work to change us begins with his transforming of our minds. We'll come back to that in chapter 12 whenever we get there someday. Uh, by the renewing of your mind, all of this be begins to take place. So the thing you have to see here is when the Bible talks so much about your mind and you have to set your mind on the things of God, it uses the word mind in a way very different from the way we do in 21st century America. When, when we think about our minds, we just think about our thoughts, right? 
So sometimes people have gotten the idea, oh, I just have to learn everything. I've got to get a PhD in theology like Pastor Jeff. Then I'll be a perfect person. Then we meet those PhDs in theologies and they aren't perfect at all. (laughs) So we think we just fill our heads with the right thing. We do need to do that. We need to know how God would have us deliver. We can never live that way. But the word for mind in the Bible is not just our thoughts. It has to do with our thoughts and our emotions, our entire inner beings. When you read this word mind, you should think about that core of what you desire, what you long for every day when you get up, what you dream of, what you fantasize about, what you hope for. That is your mind. And you see what Paul says is you've got to learn to set your mind on what God desires. See, now the way that this um, plays out for us is we, we come to Christ and up until the time we come to Jesus, we've used our minds to set them on our own desires. And, and sometimes those desires are good. The thing we desire, you can put it down, I, 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 pleasure or success or my kid's success, happiness, fulfillment. I mean, many of these are good things, but there is something flawed within us as human beings. So when it's our own desires that drive our lives, I am just going to tell you this, those cravings and their desires will lead you astray. And when the temptation comes, you will give in. Something has to change. Our want to has to change. Our, Our mind has to change. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here. So I can imagine uh, you you can come to church and ask a a question like this. Well, pastor, I I see that. What what does that look like in everyday life, this uh, setting my mind on the things of God? Well, I went through Romans 8. I was thinking about us here at church. And so I jotted down how Paul walks us through it, and I'll walk you through it too uh, with your mind. Start with this. Start with this. Remind yourself of whose you are. With that mind, stop for a moment and remind yourself of whose you are. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, this law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This law of sin and death is what Paul had written about in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, and we've all done it, so it seems like there's no hope. But it's been broken because the wages have been paid. Jesus died for your sins. So you're no longer a slave to that law of sin and death. You've been set free. So I'll tell you just how this might play out in your head. You you, you might... uh, On the day, give in to a temptation, and when you fail, you might say, how can I even think that I'm a Christian? You know, my thoughts are bad, my attitudes are bad, and my actions aren't all that great either. What a wretched person I am, like the Apostle Paul said. And he says here, stop. Did I say that loud enough? Stop with your mind. Remember that there is no condemnation for you. For now you are in Christ Jesus. So start there. Start there. Knowing that he'll start again with you. Continue with this. Count, use this mind, count or record yourself dead to sin. 
And that's taking a phrase from Romans 6, 11, but he brings it back in Romans 8, 13. Put to death the misdeeds of this flesh, of this body. So what he's saying here is daily, consciously, turn away, put into the past, put into the grave any of those sins that you are so aware of in your life. So here's what I do. I recommend to you starting your day by doing this. Maybe before you get out of bed, think about, reflect on the temptations that you think you might face that day. Especially think about the ones that you give into often and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to set my mind on those things. I'm going to set my mind on what you desire for me and in my life. And when that comes, know that it's been given to God. Uh, pray when this happens, Lord Jesus, I no longer have to be ruled by that thing, for I am yours. Through the power of your spirit today, set me free from that way of life that is just wrecking my life. Now, uh, when you go home today, I hope you'll read through Romans 8, 5 through 14 much more carefully than I'm able to go through it because I knew you wouldn't stay with me all afternoon. But the Bible's point in it is this. When you give your life to Jesus, God comes into the throne of your life. The Spirit of God comes into the throne of your life. But then we go out into this world because we're still human beings and we put sin back onto the throne of our lives. It just jumps right back there. And he tells us to use that mind, that that inner being that you have, to refuse to accept that sin as being your identity even when you are drawn to it. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. Just tell yourself that. Now, don't misunderstand me. When you sin, you still sin. It's you who does it. But when that happens, when, when you give into it, you should bring immediately to mind and begin to pray the way that John in 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us to pray. I'll put the verse up here, and then I'll help you walk through it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In the light of that, you say, Father, I will not try to hide any longer from myself or from you that there is sin in my life. It is real. You say that if I don't tell you that the truth's not in me, the truth is in me, and the truth is that I do things that are wrong. Just tell him that. And then follow it up. If we confess our sins, Lord, I confess them to you. Be who you are. Faithful, just, ready to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So start by reminding yourself of whose you are. No condemnation in Christ. Go on by counting yourself dead to that sin. He's taken it, taken it away. And then don't forget this. Then take time to set your mind on what the Spirit desires instead of your own desires. Verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit, this is what we do. We set our minds on what the Spirit desires, which brings up another question, doesn't it? How do you and I know what the Spirit desires? How do we know that? Any of you asking that or am I just thinking you're asking that? All right, so this brings me just for a moment to what I call church going 101. Church going 101. How do we know what spirit desires so that when you go home you can set your um, mind on it? One, it starts with God's word. It's the foundational way for you and me to know what God actually desires. He tells us about himself. He tells us about ourselves. And he tells us the way he's made us to live. 
So how are you going to do this with God's word? If you are faithful to do what you're doing right now and you come to church and your pastor will be faithful actually to teach the Bible and not just to tell you stories, you are going to learn more and more about what God desires. And it's not just that too. I'm praying that all of us might find a small group. And at the end of the service, if you haven't been able to find one, if you go through the Connect banner over there, we'll have some folks there ready to meet with you and to try to help you with this, to find a small group. But I pray you'll find a small group that actually studies the Bible and doesn't just study, I mean, I love movies and books, but doesn't just study other books, but actually studies the Bible and talks about what God's Word says. So I'm praying you'll find one of those two and then read the, the, the Bible on your own. And again, if you're brand new to church and you don't know where to start, come through the Connect banner. Maybe we can help you. Some people I know open it up and say, well, I'll start with First Chronicles. And after about 12 chapters of, of names, you say, I, I don't know what that's doing for me. But we'll help you know where to start and how to read that. I, I'll just tell you, the more you know God's word, you'll, you'll, you'll sense what the Spirit desires for us as his people. You'll be able to compare it to your own. And I think it's foundational to our lives. What else? So God's word, then the Spirit's promptings. Oh, does this sound too vague and eerie to you? It's very real. Uh, yesterday, Melinda Manus had her ordination council. She gave testimony to a time when she was 12 years old that the Spirit of God broke into her life and, and told her that God had made her the Spirit of God had, was leading her to actually give her life to shepherding children who are hurting and marginalized and, and disabled. And if you know anything about Melinda, she is continuing to follow that call and God's prompting has been reconfirmed in her life so often. And I stopped and I thought, I'm talking about that tomorrow, but what, the way I talk about it seems so sterile in comparison to a real life story but I'll tell you, almost every believer I know who's been walking with the Lord has those times of the promptings of the Spirit of God. Sometimes it's hard for us to sort out what are my own promptings from, from the Spirit's promptings. Uh, one of the main guides is when you have that prompting, you should follow it and see where God leads you. But that prompting will always be consistent with what the Word of God, point number one, the Word of God is teaching you. I have to make that point because when I was a young pastor, which after tomorrow I'm not going to be anymore, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I was in my 20s back then. One of my first counseling appointments, a young woman, married woman came into my office and said, Pastor, the Spirit has been prompting me and he's been prompting me to divorce my husband so that I can marry this other man who's married to another woman in the church. So what do I say? I say, well, I, you have some sort of spirit's prompting, but it's not the Holy Spirit's prompting. <laughs> and I tell you that with absolute confidence because the spirit's promptings will always be consistent with what we find the spirit desiring in his word. But I, I want to tell you too that those are real and so often I have experienced God's promptings, God's presence in times of temptations and struggle that sense, and I'm sure you have as well. I know that's what you want to do, but this is what I've made you for. And I pray that you will hear that and allow him to lead you. 
Because that phrase, the Spirit of God is present in your life, but we want to be led by the Spirit. So knowing the Word of God, being attentive to the Spirit's promptings. And the last thing is the fellowship of your church is important. Um, This section of Romans, we often read it as if it were written just to an individual, but it's really written to a whole church. And, and the Spirit of God, yes, comes into us individually, but so often what Paul will write is really it's in the gathering with your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the family, the church of God, that is the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. I know this may sound a little bit challenging, but I am just telling you, with faithfulness to your local church, you will experience the working of God's Spirit and the confirmation of the leading of God's Spirit with your brothers and sisters. Now, you need to have a church that actually teaches the Bible. You need to have a place that loves you enough to pray with you and for you and steps into your life and encourages you this way or that and even corrects you when, when we see one another walking uh, in the wrong direction. But it is so important, and, and it's also really important to find that small group that I hope you'll be able to find to do that. And in that, sometimes in those smaller groups, we find ways to hold one another accountable to being led by the Spirit. It made me think about Chuck Swindoll. Do you remember him, the pastor who used to be down in Fullerton at the Free Church? Uh, He was with a group of men, and when I just saw his list, I knew it was a group of uh, older men, white men, who, but it's still a good list, and I, I wanna show it to you, and then I'm gonna add at least one or two things that I think have to be in any list. But here, here we go, I'll show them to you and how this functions within the community. They ask a question and then allow time for everybody to respond. Have you been with a woman anywhere this past week that might be seen as compromising? Two, have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Because those first two, sex and money, they're often where temptations are experienced, right? Number three, have you exposed yourself to any sexually explicit material? Four, have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Five, have you given priority time to your family and close friends? Six, have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? And remember, they're going through this and everyone is answering. And then seven, have you just lied to me? (laughs) I wanted to show you this because of number seven. Because we do have that tendency, don't we? I have to say that when you read the whole of the Bible, sometimes I find it hard. When you think about what the Spirit desires, you're always going to come to Jesus' greatest commands, to love God and to love other people. And you'll always find that things like James talked about, real religion is when you actually care for those in distress, for widows and orphans and the poor and those who are in prison, and and to desire those things, to love your enemy. Those those have to be on the list. Do you you agree with me? Those have to be. So I think that needs to be in this, this list. But the point I'm wanting to make is we need one another. God never meant for us to walk with him alone, but it is really in us. And when you do and find others who will help you and recognize the presence of the Spirit and come to know the Word, I think you'll find all of this is an important part of finding real victory over temptation. I'll stop there, but I'll try to summarize it. So I don't want you to go home without hearing this. 
God promises you today, if you're in Christ Jesus, he promises you ultimate victory over temptation because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And verse 11, he is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He's great enough to do anything in your life. He is greater than your sin. Now, there's a process then that's to go on. And I also want to assure you that that work that he is doing in you, he will finish it. And he will complete it when Jesus Christ returns. But until Christ returns and finishes that work, let us commit ourselves to growing in this way. So I remind you, it starts with your want to, with your mind, your, my, what you set your mind on. I want you to take that mind and count yourself dead to those sins to which you are drawn. I want you to take that mind and set it on the things that the Spirit desires. And even as you walk through this life, I want to make sure that you always use this mind when you fail on a given day to remind yourself that I am yours and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, knowing that he will start again with you. God finds great joy when you find a victory over a temptation that you've always given into. He also has great joy when even when you fail, you come back to him and say, Lord, Lord, I am yours. Let the Spirit of God within you lead you until Christ returns, until he makes all things new, and until everything about you no longer falls short of the glory of God but is conformed to the image of Jesus. May it be to his glory. Amen. Amen.